Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But yeah, but, but, but the Mario 64 incident, um, yeah, it was um, my reaction. What, what, I think what disappoints me most about it is people to this day, because of the way it gets showed still, um, assume... I was, having a, I was having a salty moment. I was sulking. I was upset about losing. Um, and I'll say categorically now, I wasn't. Um, when you play video games for a living or you play as many video games as I did for as long as I did, you lose a lot of video games. You know, you, you're going to. Everyone loses. Um, so I, I didn't mind losing. I'm, I'm not a good loser, but I didn't mind losing. I was used to losing. What I minded to that day was being lied to and being called a cheat. and welcome to our festive deep sea domain this is under consultation a christmasy episode by episode podcast type situation through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master i am one of your hosts luke owen and i am not a journalist and i am your other host ash versus and i am not a marketing manager this episode aired on the 19th of December 1996. FIFA 97 continues to top the video game charts. Boyzone's A Different Beat is top of the pops, and we've got a new number one at the top of the UK box office. Because it's space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. It's 101 Dalmatians. pronounce that they be man and wife. Amen. Amen. They're here. The puppets are here. Walt Disney Pictures presents 101 Dalmatians. Your father, Pongo! They were totally irresistible. We must call this one lucky. Unbelievably precious. Dipstick. And had a style all their own. Wizard. 
which is all Cruella de Vil ever wanted. I live for fur. I worship fur. Put them in a bag. I'll take them with me now. The puppies are not for sale. Take it! Now... Just wait, aren't you, even? The battle is on. Walt Disney Pictures presents. Get out of my truck! Glenn Close. Good evening, madam. Extend leg. 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We've been looking ahead to this. We've been talking about covering First Contact for ages, and we've been looking forward to it because First Contact is great, whereas 101 Dalmatians is 101 Dalmatians. If you want to complain about the recent crop of live-action Disney movies, go back and look at 101 Dalmatians because I would argue it's worse than a lot of them. Here's the one thing, because I've watched 101 Dalmatians. Sucker. I know. Well, here's the thing. I went to watch Star Trek. And the reason why we found this out is because I went to watch Star Trek First Contact in preparation for this episode. And I went to go and find it. And then I had this sudden pang and was like, it is First Contact, isn't it? So I went to the documents and I I loaded it up. And then I scrolled down and I was like, where's Star Trek gone? And all that was there was 101 Dalmatians for three weeks. And that's because Wikipedia has been updated. This is the second time this has happened on this bloody podcast. And I text you and I said, Turns out we can't talk about Star Trek First Contact because 101 Dalmatians is number one for the next three weeks. Spoilers, by the way, we've only got three movies until the end of this series before we uh, go towards Series 7. And none of them are Star Trek First Contact. No, none of them are. I was livid. I'm still fucking livid. Oh, I'm even more livid because I watched 101 Dalmatians. Here's the one positive I would say. It at least is an original movie in that it takes the idea of 101 Dalmatians and puts it into a modern day setting, whereas opposed to a lot of the modern day Disney remakes are just the animated movie, but again. When you messaged me, I had already watched Star Trek First Contact, the beautiful 4K, Dolby, HDR, Gibbons, whatever, that's on Paramount+. Plus. I'd already watched it. And when you sent me the message of like, no, it's 101 Dalmatians. Do you know what I did, Luke? I fucking watched it again. <laughs> you can talk your sweet ass off about 101 Dalmatians, and I will reply with information about First Contact. You know, if people can refuse to accept the results of votes, I can refuse to accept box office returns from 1996. So, Ash, here we are. It is here. Since you and I started this podcast, the one thing that we were told, aside from wait till you get to series three, it's dog ass, and those people were broadly wrong, was when are you going to get to the Dave Perry incident? What are you going to do when you get to the Super Mario 64 episode? What happens to this show once you do this episode? This is the most iconic episode, right? Like there are iconic moments, Wigfield, you know, for example, but this is the games master episode this is the one that's referenced this is the one that haunts a number of people involved in the show it is broadly speaking one of the most infamous video game moments of gaming in the 90s in the uk at least and it both made and damaged careers and in some cases of the same person i think the most surprising confession i've got to you about this is obviously 
I remember watching this and I remember thinking about it. And of course, we talked about it when you first approached me. It was like one of those day zero discussions we had, along with a number of other ideas and thoughts. Other than knowing it's on the horizon and, of course, the uh, side quest we've done because we really wanted the book available to us, I haven't actually thought about it that much for a number of reasons, one of which is we wanted to have as many factual accounts as possible available to us, which we now do. And the other is, other than the last couple of minutes, there isn't much to discuss about this episode. And don't get me wrong, the quiz part of it is quite fun to watch. I do like a good quiz show. You like a good quiz show. I love pub quizzes. One of my local pubs is doing a Halloween pub quiz. I can't wait on Halloween night, a pub quiz. Great stuff. But it's not kind of great commentary material. Of all the shows that we will cover for UCP Extra and, and all those other kind of side quests and Patreon bonuses, we're probably never going to do an episode of Mastermind. We're probably never going to do a university challenge. No, I think the, the young one's appearance on uh, Master on University Challenge might be the closest we'd ever get. Even then, the questions are mostly irrelevant. Kind of like this quiz. Very much like this quiz. But we're here. And in our free feed, this is our 150th episode. It's apropos that this, the biggest episode of Games Master, is uh, by accident, by sheer accident, our 150th episode. But I think you're right as well. Like, it's everyone knows the final moment of this. I don't even think a lot of people know Kirk's run on Super Mario 64. I don't think a lot of people remember that Kirk also bollocks his challenge up. Everyone has seen. Dave's challenge, because it's so short, and the commentary that comes afterwards and Dave Perry's interview. In fact, in most video edits of this, Kirk's bit's cut out. It's just the Dave Perry stuff. No one, I would wager, no one remembers anything that happens up until that point, other than diehard fans of the show who've watched the episode multiple times and the people involved. Mm. I think most people just know the paddy that he throws. It's, you know, the little strop that he has when he says that he's been set up. Now, I am very, very happy to say that the book is here. For one of us, at least, I am holding it up on camera. This, to me, is the definitive record. Not because it's exhaustive. There are other quotes, other recollections, other interpretations of the events by people who are also interviewed in this book. But by having Dominic's words there, Dave's words there, Kirk's words there, Johnny Finch's words there, it, to me, is the definitive version, because all these people put their words to paper or, or voices to tape. They said their side of the story, knowing it would go in this book. So that to me is like, right, this is it. This is the record I'm going to go with from now on. And Dave could turn around and change his mind tomorrow and say, no, this is actually what happened. Dom could turn around. Kirk could turn around, Johnny could turn around, uh, Jane Hewland could turn around and say, actually, I was the higher power. I orchestrated the downfall of Dane Perry. All of this is possible. But to my mind, the book is written, the book is edited, the book is finalised, the book passed legal. Therefore, this, for better or for worse, is what we have to work with as absolute fact. I would agree with you as well. Like I'd had lots of notes from various Dave Perry, Dominic Diamond, Rick Henderson interviews because anytime they get interviewed, this is the topic that comes up. And I you know watched some Dave Perry interviews as, as recent as January of this year talking about this challenge and talking about these things. And I would say that most of 
the recollections that are in the book are what people had said in various interviews. I'm going to bring up a couple of things that were said in other interviews only because I think it adds a bit more color. But for the most part, the book is the best and definitive version of what happened here because every other interview tends to just be one person's side and the person interviewing with them agreeing with them. Because you do. I mean, we... We've both done it, not necessarily for under consultation, but we have both done interviews where you're like, yeah, yeah, with an interview subject. And it's because you're there and interviewing them and you don't necessarily want to pick a fight, but it's the way it goes. I do want to give a big thanks to Rom for helping us out, making sure that we could prepare for this. Also, especially to Jack, who we talked with a little bit. And I kind of said, right, what do we need to read in the book? to make sure that we cover what we need to know for this episode. Originally, I just wanted to start at the beginning and read the entire book in chronological order. But no, I leapt to series four, I skimmed through series five, and then it was on to series six, because that is the chunk which really captures kind of the setting up of the domino rally that leads to Mario Gate. Exactly, yeah, because before we get into the episode, I think we need to discuss how we got here. And there are various steps that we need to take in order to get to where we got to. According to Dave Perry, in an interview he did with the Retro Hour podcast, it goes back to series two, where he said, And something happened on season two, and we haven't spoken about it because obviously we, we don't speak. Um, and um, I don't know what happened. But something changed on season two, and he started taking exception to me for some reason and um, I've never found out why you just know when somebody has just got the hump with you a little bit I didn't notice it too much through season two but it seemed it seemed to be after season two you know, things changed I, I, you hear things and you pick up a vibe and I wasn't too sure what was going on it didn't bother me too much because I was I was in doing the filming and I was gone I thought it was an interesting quote because in the book Dom actually praises Dave in series two during the sort of post interview stuff you know about what happens with mario 64 he's like if we'd have had series two dave carry on with us through series four and series five it might have been a different scenario because he talks about dave specifically the take that challenge he thought dave was great in that challenge so i think it's interesting that dave thinks that it actually starts here but i think it's very clear it's series four is when this really starts to go tits up we're going to throw a few quotes in from the book. We're not going to read too much of it because, one, a lot of you listening to this will already be waiting on your Kickstarter copy to arrive. Hopefully it will have arrived by the time you hear this. Or if you've just gone for the regular edition, which is available very shortly, you've still got this to read ahead of you. But we can give kind of overall tones and colours. And the takeaway from Dom is it started with Series 4 that he kind of felt a sense of, I guess, almost betrayal. I think is is possibly a word that could be used about about Dave and the way Dave uh, stepped up and spoke out in favour of Dexter. And I say that, you know, as we've said so many times, Dex did nothing wrong. But what compounded it is, in Dom's mind, Dave kept going on about how great Series 3 was, how good he was with Dexter. And of course, we had this burgeoning games animal persona dave taking himself very seriously as a games player taking him very serious as an authoritative figure on gaming meanwhile series four whilst dom is not a huge fan of it now did become increasingly more irrelevant 
did have a lot more gags, a lot more wonky challenges. We had that celebrity special. We had the gore special. Dom was back and Dom was in charge. You know, he, as he said in his interview, he kind of took creative control of the situation and he was going to make Games Master the show he wanted it to be. And I think that was very much at odds with the show that Dave wanted it to be. Yeah, because Dave loves series three he has said that in multiple interviews he thinks that series three is the best series of games master now i don't know if a lot of that is because of what happens with mario 64 and that is just hindsight being that was the series without dominic therefore it's going to be the one that i'm going to say is the best one because it's also the one that the fans don't like the most so he's just being a contrarian but i also think that from dave's point of view it's the most competitive games master ever was in terms of it being a video game challenge TV show. And that is what Dave Perry thinks Games Master is and what it should be. And we are at Series 4 seeing these two diverging paths. We've said it multiple times on this on this podcast. Dave thinks this is still Series 1 to 3 Games Master. Dominic is making it a comedy show. And those two different ideologies clash and come to a head in this episode. And whilst it's uncomfortable to watch it now, that story you got over Series 4 and into Series 5 of Dom kind of mocking Dave and making fun of Dave, it's a little uncomfortable to watch at times. But Dave does take himself so very seriously. And Johnny Finch does say in the book that it was entertaining. And that's the thing. I, I can't remember what I thought of it at the time, but conflict does equal ratings or it does kind of create that buzz of, you know, those two not quite liking each other. Do they like each other? Don't they like each other? Already quite polarizing figures in themselves. Uh, Dave had a very distinct reputation within the gaming industry, uh, particularly within the magazine industry as well. And Dominic was a fairly controversial figure in himself. And you have those two going head to head. And would you try and stop it? Would you try and mediate it? Would you try and find a kind of sensible outcome? Or would you just sit back and let the cameras roll? Which is what Johnny Finch did. I think probably for the better. Like Dom admits in the book that him making faces behind Dave's back throughout series four, uh, and this is a direct quote, was a terribly mean thing to do, but does also say it was very funny. And it got to a point where Dave made a complaint, went to Johnny Finch, and Johnny Finch then had to go to Dom and tell him to pack it in. And I think that's why we see a slightly lesser, we see a different Dom tact in series five, which is just giving him mocking names because he's mocking the game's animal persona rather than making faces behind Dave's back while Dave is trying to do his series three Games Master shtick. There is a, a passage from Dave in this book where he talks about how he feels that when Games Master came back for series four, because Dominic had already left and because Dexter wasn't coming back, he should have stepped up into the lead presenter role. And he goes on to say, of course, Dominic returned, which made more sense. And there's just an interesting statement here of saying that he didn't want or expect to be the presenter, but sat there hoping. And I get what he's saying, but also, even if he never asked, the fact he was hoping is actually building yourself up for expectation. Like, there's a lot of things I hope I'll be asked to do that I never will. But that doesn't stop kind of like me being disappointed if I find the opportunity's gone to someone else or I haven't been considered. And I'm not saying that to be negative on Dave, but I am saying that even though you say you weren't expecting it, if you were hoping it, that in itself is a form of expectation, even if it's internalized. I, I completely agree. And 
and this is no slight on on Dave whatsoever, it was the right call when Dominic came back to make him the host again. I get a Dave so it goes to length to say that Hewland called him to say, will you be the co-presenter for the second half of series three? But I'll be honest with you, when I was watching series three, I never saw Dave as the co-host of the series. He was the commentator for the second half of the series. I think Dave has got a lot of skills hosting this sort of show. I, I don't think it would have been one of Dave's strengths. I would concur. And who knows? Maybe if given the chance to run with it, maybe it's a role he would have grown into because he was doing things on Games World. But Games World is not Games Master. That's exactly it. But, you know, in fairness to Dave, he was the only person who was sticking up for Dex in terms of Series 3. Also, I just think that for Dave, as I said earlier, I think that's his ideal version of what Games Master should be, is this challenge show where kids come on, you know, show off their, their skills and all of that. There's a passage within Series 5. Um, and I think it is worth noting, Dave does not feature pretty much at all in the Series 5 chapter, outside of the section I'm about to read here. There's so much more from Kirk and Dom. And I think that tells you a lot of the different changes, the, the big changes we we're going through from, from this show. And Dave's only passage in the Series 5 chapter is on Baby Rom which I highlighted as my least favorite challenge of Series 5. I think it was what I awarded anyway. Because they're talking about how they thought it was really funny. There's actually a piece like Dom talks about, like they were going to have it open Series 5 and do the Wipeout Challenge seconds because they thought that would be even funnier to start a new series of Games Master with babies playing a joke game. They thought that was the funniest thing in the world and had to be convinced to flip it around and do Wipeout first, then do Baby Rom. But this is what Dave said. Everything that they were doing like this, they were patting each other on the back. Everyone's having a goof and that's great, but it's not what people want or not what it should be. It was Games Master for God's sake. People at home wanted to see <coughs> games experts. And as the show went on, that got diluted. This was the point it stopped being as fun. But I realized the importance of being on the show. It was something very special. It meant a lot to me. And I still wanted to be there. This is, as you and I have pointed out many times on this podcast, where everyone is making one show and Dave is making another. Games are important to Games Master, but I think a lot of our memories of all the seasons of Games Master have actually not been about the challenges themselves. They've been about stuff around the challenges. Just challenges can be either very hectic or very dry or both. You need personality. Let's go back to Series 3. Let's go back to Macho Man. Luke, can you tell me anything about the challenge itself? Absolutely not. But I remember the promo. I remember he was forming a tag team with the girl. You know, that I remember. I, I couldn't tell you anything about any of the Gladiators challenges, apart from Jet suddenly changing controller halfway through one of them. But I could tell you a lot of the jokes the Glads made, because some of them were definitely post-Watershed jokes in a pre-Watershed time slot. We now take a slight sidestep away from Games Master to go to a little side project that Dom and Kirk were doing called Dom and Kirk's Night of Plenty that they were doing for Paramount. And there's an episode, and again, actually, I think this is probably a lot like the Mario 64 incident, the only thing that people might actually remember about Night of Plenty. I've watched some of it. It's an absolute shit show. I think Tom even says in the book, it was him and Kirk hoovering lines of cocaine 
and acting like dicks for 15 minutes and perving on women. But this incident is actually unwatchable. We were asked recently, would you do an episode on this? And I'd watched it previously. I hadn't watched it in a long time because we haven't done much on Night of Plenty. We kind of touched on it occasionally. Dom brought it up a couple of times. I went and I watched the segment and I just thought, as uncomfortable as some of the moments with Dave and Dom have been, as uncomfortable as parts of this episode are, I wouldn't touch that with a plastic fishing rod. Honestly, Ash, I think this is as far as we go (laughs) with the coverage of it. I would maybe cover the beats of it, but the thought of doing a step-by-step as we do with most of these shows, no, because it's just, it's horrible. It is someone actively trying to sabotage a television broadcast that is in the nicest possible way, often hanging on by a thread at the best of times because of the aforementioned hoovering massive lines of coke and going out and being weird in front of a camera for 15 minutes. It's Wayne's World meets FHM and Loaded and and Nuts magazine. Like, that is what Night of Plenty is. And the incident we're talking about here is when Matt Lucas and David Walliams went on as their alter egos, Mash and Peas. Okay, Danny Mash, Gareth Peas were born. And what happened next? I don't know. Right. Why? No, I tell you, the show's finished soon. No, we're leaving. Anybody had the sun at the end? We can carry on. It's your 30 quid. We can carry (laughs) on. We know you as yeah, well, right? right. Hey, what was he on? Um, oh, Technify Sky to right. the Future. The future. Hey, but he was on another show, right? <laughs> but they sacked him and they got him back to sack. Then he came back, he came back because they said, because Dexter Fletcher was too expensive to uh-huh. hide him back. Yeah. Right, very funny. How did you meet? <laughs> Don't know. Right. Any ladies in your life? Don't know. Yeah. Right. Anything uh, you would like to tell us about your vision? Not really, no. no. I think we should get them singing again, Dominic. <laughs> Good to be Hello, hello. Good to be back. Good to be back. Hello, hello. Can we just kick them in? Hello. Good to be here. See Mash and Peas is well worth watching. Um, it's uh, it's full of uh, really of, uh, of one Funny. joke, which is uh, which Funny. has appeared. Gareth, 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 look, listen, like Willie. <laughs> <laughs> also, look, look, because they've got lots of mess. Right. It's like the whole show. That's the show. Mess. It's met out. <laughs> that's that's you fucking cool. So right. You don't even want to tell us about the future for Mash and Peace? No, don't no. Know. Nothing at all. No, because we were sat because we were difficult to work with. You're joking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that comes up. <laughs> that comes up. Fantastic surprise to me. Also, no one liked us and we weren't funny. So right. I can't believe that. Though. No, it's weird. Come on tonight. You've been very amusing yeah. and very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> It took me three attempts to watch this and I only made it five minutes in because every couple of minutes I had to pause and walk away and do something else because it's very, very difficult to watch. Because you're right, like this is two lads who went on there with the sole intention of tanking what happens here. Williams wrote in his autobiography that he'd heard that Dominic Diamond had called them unfunny. So he and Matt decided. We're just going to go on there and completely destroy his show. And they do. They won't stop singing. They won't sit down. They won't answer questions. Matt Lucas tries to take his knob out. 
there's one point when David Williams says, oh, I recognize you. You were fired from Games Master and replaced by Dexter Fletcher, but then they couldn't afford Dexter Fletcher, so they had to bring you back. And that's the moment that you can watch, you watch the clip. It's available on YouTube. That's when Dom really starts to seethe, and it just gets worse and worse and worse from there. It is someone in Williams who knows how to get under a person's skin. And he really gets under Dominic's skin here. Uh, I mean, it, and it only gets worse when they start throwing darts and Dominic nearly gets hit twice by Matt Lucas, who was aiming for him. And, you know, Dom has talked about this a lot. He got into an actual fight with Matt Lucas in the corridor. And, there, and I kept thinking, why, why are you doing this to me, David? And at no point could I stop and ask, but there was one point <laughs> where we had the intro jingle to this uh, game we played called Dart in the Head. And during that jingle... I leaned over to David and Matt and I said, don't f*** this up. And then, so the, the, it was a game involving darts and they were throwing darts at my head. And I was so angry by the end of the show, you can actually see this on the, uh, on the closing credits. I should know, I think it just stops before it on the version that's on YouTube. When the show happened, you could see it. I lunge for Matt Lucas over the end credits and I chase him off set. I caught up with him in the corridor. I had him by the throat and I was about to punch through his skull. And the security guard at the Paramount Channel grabs my arm and I'm trying to punch through the security guard to Matt Lucas and I don't quite get there. And the security guard pulls me off. Sorry, not in that way. Sorry. Once, once a Games Master host, always a Games Master host. <laughs> and so um, I looked up and I, and I saw... David was there watching and he looked at me and you could tell he felt bad and he went to speak and I said, don't say anything to me ever again. And that was it. Grabbed him by the throat, pushed him up against the wall and screamed at him for messing with his show. And security had to pull him off because he was going to beat up Matt Lucas for, re for wrecking his show. Inappropriate, Luke, but diamondism. <laughs> it's appropriate for this show. It feels like this isn't the right time to bring this up, but I think Dom actually makes this connection in the book. There is a reason why a lot of what happens before we get to the ex the, the Christmas episode that kind of builds to this. Because the brief story of what happened before this episode actually started, and actually before it started taping, Dave Perry was Dante Hicks. He was not supposed to be there today. And... He has said that he was working for THQ. THQ thought he was finished. He thought he was finished as well. But they called him quite late and said, will you do the Christmas special with us? We're filming on a Saturday. And he did it free of charge because in his own words, Johnny begged me to do it. And so Dave went in to do this episode. And when he found out it was a quiz, according to Johnny Finch, Dave asked him for the questions ahead of time. He didn't just do it ahead of time, though. He did it after a day's filming, late at night, at a point, deliberately or otherwise, when Johnny's back was against the wall on that one. Because he could refuse and potentially completely f*** the next day's filming, or he could capitulate and give Dave the questions. Now, I have done junket interviews for movies and stuff where film directors and actors and talent, when I'm doing a quiz with them, have asked for the questions ahead of time. Like the PR representatives have said, 
they want to see the questions ahead of time because they don't want to look stupid on camera when they do the junkets. And in a way, I totally get it because junkets are just fluff pieces anyway. So it's absolutely fine. I've got no issue with it whatsoever. What I find interesting about this is that according to Johnny Finch, Dave Perry asked him for the questions ahead of time because he had done so much for the show and he's always put in the extra hours. He's always stayed late. So he's been there since day one. Like he is at this point, really the only original left from Games Master that has been there since the very start because obviously Don was there for a little bit of it. And also he had a book coming out and he didn't want to look bad on TV with his pending book deal. What I find interesting about this is that Dave to this day says this isn't true i've been accused i've been accused since of having been given the answers and asking for the answers to the questions never happened absolute lie Any, anybody mm. who says that is lying and they should prove it um if, if it did happen because it, it absolutely never happened now where it gets interesting is because johnny gave him the questions and it is a secret johnny says in this interview from 2002 that he would have taken to his grave Dave did something stupid. Dave told someone. Now, Dave denies that this happened in the first place, but also says, in another quote, why would I tell anyone I didn't have any friends on the set anyway? I don't know how to read that because it's like it either did or didn't happen. If it didn't happen, that is a weird statement to make. But I'll leave that aside because the important fact of all this is, is that Dominic found out. And that is where things went from kind of a simmer to a boil. Yeah, because Dominic approached Johnny Finch. This, again, this is what Johnny Finch had said in, in 2002. Dominic approached him and he found out that Dave had been given the questions. And this is a quote from Johnny Finch. Dominic responded, as I knew he would, by assuring me that unless the quiz were played absolutely fairly, and I would promise that this would be the case, he was not prepared to present it. When Dave came in the next day, I gave him the disagreeable news. I pointed out that this was his own fault for telling someone, but that now, with things as they stood, I was going to have to write a new set of questions. He would either have to agree to play the quiz fairly, or it would go ahead without him. Dave reluctantly agreed to go ahead. Dominic has a very interesting passage in the book, which I'm not going to read all about because I believe it is something that people should go and read for themselves. Go and get the book, wait for your copy to arrive, whatever. But it sums up something which actually I find myself quite empathising with, which is if Dave had spoken to Dominic, maybe something could have been worked out, even if itself had been a fix, a fudge or whatever. But what he did was worse than that is he put a friend in a situation where there had to be a betrayal of trust. Yeah. That, to Dom, is unforgivable. And I get that. I totally get it as well. The line in particular, and I, I do want to read this line out because I think it is quite important, is Dave was so scared of losing, he coerced my best friend to fuck with my show. And at that point, even by Dave's admission, it was Dom's show much to his chagrin. It's amazing, isn't it, as well? Because going back to like the Series 4 stuff, Dom writes in the book there that he did make a lot of fun of Dave and they just they did fall out and something wasn't right between them. And he says, really, what I should have done is just taken him out for a beer and we could have gone over it and maybe something would have worked out here. In the same way, if Dave had gone to Dom and they'd have just worked something out, we would have had a different outcome of this. But it's the two of them not talking has kind of put us in this situation. And as Dom says in the book, when he found out that Dave had coerced his friend to fuck with his show, he pulled him out of the caravan, accused him of cheating, and pushed him up against the wall exactly 
the same way he did Matt Lucas on Knights of Plenty. He writes here, In retrospect, that can't be a coincidence. The idea that someone planned something sneaky behind your back, and I was like, no f***ing way am I letting this happen to me again. So I think that's why I was so angry. Also, it is worth saying, Dominic at this point, as we mentioned previously, was doing a lot of cocaine. He was an angry boy. Yeah, he had a, a lot of chemicals flowing around his system. He talks about it quite truthfully and quite openly. So I think, Ash, we should probably get into the episode itself. Good evening and welcome to Games Master. I've had a Christmas card here from a Mr. Charlie Young. And it says, uh, Dear Dominic, what I want to know is, you know your co-commentators, do they really know about video games? Please could you conjure up some Christmas video games quiz to test the lead in their gaming knowledge pencils? Well, Charlie, seeing as you've phrased it in such an eloquent and heartfelt fashion, we feel honour-bound to comply with your request with the Games Master Christmas Quiz. Christ, this is like the worst Christmas ever. I feel like our <laughs> families have already had a fight. I'm actually glad that this isn't coming out at Christmas because <laughs> what a Debbie Downer that would have been. This is like the Christmas Day EastEnders, except we've covered one of those and it was more fun than this. It is, although, you know, there's some nice fairy lights around. I was disappointed there was no specific Christmas intro for it or even just like some jingle bells to the music. But, you know, I appreciate that they put up some fairy lights. They at least made that look festive and they put a little wreath around Games Master when we get him. Although Christ knows what, you know, that amount of fairy lights around that amount of water does. I would hate to be the health and safety officer for that set or for Atlantis. Sorry, not a set. We're in Atlantis. That's our deep sea domain. So we have the Games Master Christmas quiz. Four rounds to test each commentator's metal. And at the end of the fourth round, the two in the lead will go head to head in a gaming challenge. Now, I just want to say off the bat, I love that as a concept. It actually has quite a bit in common with Starcade, which is you've got the question rounds and then you've got the video game round. There's even a picture round. I love the picture round. So yeah, there'll be four rounds of this and then the people with the highest score will have their playoff challenge. Our contestants are Kirk Ewing, a former lingerie model for Miss Selfridge, whose hobbies are taunting people shorter than him and leech breathing. Oh, he's a sucker for them, Luke. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I did love that when he was introduced as a former lingerie model, he did the full Les Dawson and Roy Barraclough, Sissy and Ada, the kind of... The, 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 the adjusting the bra shoulder roll that they used to do on that comedy show. And it's like, I see where your comedy heritage is, boy. I actually really like Derek Lynch as well, because Derek Lynch, Dom kind of describes him in the book as the man who laughs at everything. And Derek is here for a good time. Like, Kirk, stoned out of his mind. Not my words, the words of Dominic Diamonds. Rick Henson is, at this point as well, very, very tired, which we'll get into in a little bit. Derek is just having a lovely time. He's having a great day out. And he got to talk about doing the robots and body popping. Oh, what great days they were. Great days indeed. And Rick, as you said, is there. He's very tired. He has a mascot, which he's not going to tell us about because it is not a secret that should be uttered in this early evening time slot. So Rick, at this point, is very tired. I was, I was watching an interview that he did uh, with Retro Game Revival where he said that... But because... It meant that the show was being more and more delayed. I mean, it was about five hours. I, I was sat in the green room for about five hours. And uh, because we were waiting for so long, I wasn't, I, you know, the, the mood was very flat by the time we got on that thing. The only thing that helped me and Kirk was champagne. 
<laughs> they had bought some champagne because it was the last show of the whole series mm. to be filmed. It wasn't the last show to be shown. It was the last show to be filmed. They had champagne for afterwards. But because it kept going on and on, me and Kirk just cracked it open. <laughs> and uh, and we're drinking champagne to get us a bit giddier. And by God, if we hadn't, that would have been the flattest comedy special we've mm. ever seen. Because everybody's in a bit of a mood by that point. So him and Kirk are actually a little bit sourced going into this. And he says, it's the only way we were going to have fun. He said, we were so tired, but we had to drink some champagne because it was the only way we could be on for the episode taping. I mean, I've been to shows where there have been delays. I've been on shows where there have been delays. Jiminy, just no. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to get into. Which brings us to Dave Perry. And finally, uh, we have Dave Perry now. Um, what is there to say about Dave that he hasn't told us himself many, many times? Uh, he is the self-proclaimed games animal. His ambition is to front the television show about video games that totally destroys Games Master. I wouldn't have thought that would be too difficult, Dave. No, no, I don't think it will be either. It's only a matter of time. Who would present that show, Dave? Oh, well, I think that would probably be me. Well, I'm sure that comes a surprise there uh, to all of us. Now, I don't know if a lot of the notes that I've got or a lot of the things that I spotted while watching this episode are because I have read and watched a lot of the interviews, read the book, watched all these podcasts and things like that. Because there's certain moments, particularly like those lines there, and you tie those back into what Dave thought heading into Series 4. Johnny Finch and Dominic Diamond were very convinced that Dave Perry thought that he wanted to be the host of Games Master moving forward. Dave Perry himself, he said, ego-wise, I think I could have done it and I should have been in conversations for it. Lines like that really do feel that, like, you know, this is, it's all connected. I, I mean, I am put, putting pins in walls and tying string around it and things like that. But then when Dom's talking about the questions. The questions have been kept under strictest security. The girls have been quite literally sitting on them all day. Could I have them now, please? And that feels like a really pointed line. Yes, the strictest of supervision. Although in this case, that means the murs have been sat on them. Yeah, and they are now scolding warm. And for me, because like, you know, Dave has gone on record many times before and said, I did not ask for the questions. I'm gonna use the term smoking gun a lot on this. That, for me, is the smoking gun that he did. But perhaps that is me reading too much into the situation because we know a lot of the colour around it. I don't know. I don't know how much of that is is painting my view of this, whether it is colouring my view of it. I don't know what to think because obviously we've got Johnny, we've got Dom, we've got various other people saying this, that and the other, and then we've got Dave maintaining this steadfast line. There are so many bits of this show, like you mentioned, the pointed line, some of the questions and the way that it's phrased it does feel like it is pointing towards a, you tried to screw with this. This yeah. isn't just the regular ripping of Dave Perry. This is like an assassination attempt. And never more is that you could connect a string to this if you wanted to, that Dave's first question is about fucking Mario 64. First to the picture round, and it's Mario, specifically Metal Mario, from Mario 64. And he, he does get an opportunity for a bonus point. What colour are Mario's overalls normally? Blue. They are blue, exactly, as a red vest. Is that two colours you would wear together? Blue and... Oh, sorry. Does that work as a, as a, as a colour mix, Dave? It's very in. Okay. Very in at the moment. That's good. We'll take Dave's word for that. See, this, whilst, yes, there's some awkwardness, Dave's having a bit of a laugh. He's actually yeah. looser in this than we've seen him in... In months. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, uh, I mean, by the end of this round, 
this genuinely feels like everyone is having a lovely time. Yes, there have been pointed lines here and there. Dave actually feels like he's having a good time at the moment. And I wonder if that's because he's got two questions there. He's got four points there in the bag already. That is fair. He did not get screwed immediately, particularly because he's the only one who scores points in this round. Yeah, because Vic is next. He picks number three. It's Orchid from Killer Instinct. Unfortunately, Vic says Jade. Jade, Jadey Jade. And Tom makes fun of him because it was only the number one game last Christmas. Never heard of it. (laughs) Never heard of it. Derek is next. He picks four. Derek fails to identify the little urchin, which was Andy from Heart of Darkness. Now, if you genuinely wanted to screw someone over, you'd have gamed it so they had this one, because even I had to double take on this. I had to go, that looks like Heart of Darkness, but I cannot remember what the kid is called. That's exactly it. I knew the game, did not know the character name. However, Kirk, being left with number two gets Jet Set Willy, and Dom looks genuinely irritated that Kirk didn't know the answer to this one. And that's not because he wants Kirk to win, it's because Dom knows the answer to this one. As you said, it's Jet Set Willy, not as Kirk says, it's Dom's dad. It's Dom's final line, it's like, if only, if only I knew who that was. Kirk tries to defend himself, he says, oh, I'd have known if his head was out of the toilet. But that is, that is a gaming legend, even I recognise that one immediately. I was just like, well, that's Jet Set Willy. I love Kirk as well being like, I knew all the other answers. If anything, at this point, it feels like everyone other than Dave is being screwed with. In a little way, maybe it's the high before the fall. Well, with that in mind, let's head on over to Games Master for the scores on the doors. Hello and Merry Christmas. I hate to ruin the festive spirit, but I do get to say that at the end of round one, Rick Henderson, Derek Lynch and Kirk Ewing all had zero with the sole point scorer being Dave Perry with four. Pitiful. Ooh. Well, I mean, it's not looking good for anyone else, is it? But Dave is roaring ahead with four points. Gamesmaster doesn't seem happy at all. He's just like, pitiful. I mean, he's not wrong either. I fought off aliens for this. Which brings us into round two. What happens after the wee bit of clip you have seen? I love the name. <laughs> Such a great name. And Rick's first one is Earthworm Jim. Uh-oh, that'll come up again later. But it's the point, and Rick gets this right, it's the point in New Junk City where you launch the cow off the little seesaw. Venice Dominic, he does press Rick for a bit more information to make sure that he does get the points that he deserves here. Absolutely. He doesn't just say, oh, you launch a cow. He's like, oh, well, Jim, Jim's got to go in. He shoots the fridge. The fridge lands on the branch. The cow's at the other end. It launches the cow. That's the correct kind of sequence of events. Derek is up next. Now, I will say, when I first saw this, I did actually pause and go, is that one of the zombie reveals or is it the dogs? Because I don't remember running for the zombie reveal. And then I think it was just going around the corner and the camera angle it immediately changed to. I'm like, oh no, it's the dog sequence. I get this now. Yeah, that is a corridor I am very, very familiar with. That The second that came up, I was like, dogs jump through the windows. However, Derek doesn't know. And he just think a beast will come out and attack her. And Dom does give him one for that. Diamondism. Diamondism, yeah. And then Kirk buzzes in. Kirk, very quick on the trigger to buzz in here as if he knows what the answer is. But he's very good at being very wrong. Mutant zombie comes out with a shotgun and uh, the guy blasts his brains out over the floor causing a very nice wiry pattern on the walls. Very, very good. Absolutely wrong. Let's right. roll a quick fight back. <laughs> exactly what happened. <laughs> Yeah, it is a brilliant drunk answer of something that I don't think has ever happened 
In a Resident Evil game, I never remember having seen a zombie with a shotgun, but there you have it. So Kirk is up next, and it's Chaos's finish or one of his death moves from Primal Rage. And Kirk, who does clearly doesn't like beat him ups or Primal Rage for that matter, is just like, oh, it's just some death moves, probably some death move. And Dom does give him a point for that, which is something that Dave Perry has a problem with in, in other interviews. But he does give him a little point for that, for naming that it was a death move. And Rick buzzes in and says the monkey turns around and emits a massive gaseous vapour. And Dave's like, no, no. Dave's the only one who knew the answer, which is, it's the pissing finish. I mean, Rick was closer. Like, he got kind of the fact it was a bodily function of some sort. Which brings us to Dave's clip, and he's got the end of the Angel Island in Sonic 3, and the fire's, the fire's coming up, and Dave said, oh, that's easy. Dr. Robotnik shows up, and Sonic has to battle him. Now, in fairness to Dave, because he has a proper Barney about this in some interviews I've watched, He's also wrong. This isn't where Dr. Robotnik shows up. The fire machine comes down and you battle the fire machine and then it flies off. Dave's answer was actually wrong. Not that it would have mattered. No, not even close. Let roll a clip and see what happens. Okay, so Sonic gets to the end of level, pauses by the tree, a Japanese guy in a black and white wig jumps out of the crate and someone shoots over their eyes. <laughs> and, it, and it all explodes. <laughs> and it's basically a clip from Supreme Warrior. And everyone busts a gut laughing. And Dave shouts out, <laughs> This is a fix. He is laughing, though. He is laughing. He is laughing at that. But he is, I think this is the point here where he's like, The fix is in. And he, I, honestly, because he, he shouts out that words. But it is a real, like, a it begins moment of this episode. But. End of round two. So that there is a moment of this where Dave is... Dave points to this as one of his smoking guns as to why he was set up to fail on this because everyone else was given fair questions and he was not. He said this in interviews that they were just constantly messing with him to make sure he did not win the quiz. And this is one of those smoking guns. But people could buzz in. And also be wrong. And also As be wrong. As indeed they did. Yes, but Dave was the only one who was given a joke answer, whereas everyone else did get point, did get a chance to win legit points. But then again, it's a comedy show. You know, everything's made up and the points don't matter. Like, that is sort of what we are going for here, but Dave is taking this very seriously. I'm part of a quiz show. I am part of a comedy quiz show that I do for a YouTube channel called Quizlemania. As a bit of uh, context... I am part of a YouTube channel, and on that YouTube channel, we do a quiz show called Quizlemania. It's a wrestling comedy quiz show. We started it during the pandemic because we just thought it'd be a fun thing to do to distract people for a couple of hours, and it grew popular enough that we ended up doing it as a weekly thing. That became too much, so we started it as a fortnightly thing. That became too much. Who knows what will happen to it in the next couple of months? Either way, we've now done over 50 episodes of the show done over 50 quizzes various different guises various different forms but at its heart it is a comedy quiz show one of the rounds is you have to identify a wrestler by just their nipples it is a very very silly quiz show uh, adam the host of it is a board game lover so a lot of the rounds are based around board games like herd mentality or parlor games like dobbins and bobbins and things like that so we we all understand the brief this is a comedy show we will take the subject matter seriously, but we will not take ourselves seriously. We all go on there to have a bit of a laugh, bit of a giggle, and do a bit of entertaining. However, we have had contestants on the show 
because we have people outside in our team and outside of our team who take it seriously and take it very seriously. And in a lot of cases, take it too seriously. I know of multiple people on that show that have cheated, that have had answers up on screens. They've had a second window open and are Googling answers while we're doing the quiz because they do not want to look silly on camera. I won't say any of their names here because I don't think that's fair. I mean, actually, I think anyone who's listening to this and has watched Quizlemania, you can probably guess a lot of them who are these people. They do not want to look silly on camera, so they will just Google answers because they also want to win. Hypercompetitive cannot stand the idea of losing this very silly game show where we have to guess wrestlers by their nipples. So I kind of empathize a little bit with the situation they're in because I am, in many Quizlemanias, the Rick, the Kirk, the Derek in this scenario. And I've worked with and competed against the Daves in this quiz show. Mm. And so I, I can see what it is like because those people who are hyper-competitive will often fake a laugh to show that they are in on the joke as well. The big Bucky O'Hare is for, for Ash and for you as well. So I do look at this from a slightly different lens as well because I have been in this scenario before. and. Let me tell you, the people who cheat on <laughs> cheat on Quizlemania, for fuck's sake, those people think they're the cool ones, and they are not. And I think a lot of people actually look at them as the lame ones because they're trying to cheat at a stupid comedy quiz. All right, anyway, let's head on over to Games Master and find out what our current scores are. Dave is still in the lead with four points, but mercifully, the others are pulling themselves together. Rick has staggered to an underwhelming two points, while Dedek and Kirk have one apiece. Everyone's off the starting line. It's getting a little bit better. The scores are not rocketing through the roof, but kind of making their way towards the mezzanine level. They're going up. They're going in the right direction. They are at least peanuts on the up at this point, but Dave is still out in the lead with four points. But Luke, why does Derek Lynch have a rabbit for a mascot? Well, I hope we find out after this ad break. So, with the scores rocketing through the roof here, uh, we're going to take a short break for some fantastic commercials there. During the break, uh, just think about this for a little bit. Why has Derek Lynch got a rabbit for his mascot? We'll be back in a minute. Meet Fred. The laziest cat in the whole world. But he's no ordinary cat. Well, I've been around the world. Oh, I was saying he was a star. Groove to the world's coolest cat, Famous Fred, Christmas Eve at 6.10 on 4. Meow! Bask in the warm glow of Tobago with Mr. M. The sun's shining, I feel good, and I'm here to make you feel good. Winter sunshine in the new year with GMTV. Mend your ways, Gary. Mend your ways before it's too late. Boy, do you know Mr. Tittlewhistle, the grocers? Yes, sir. And have you seen that big, big bag of Walker's Crisp potato snack in his window? Yes, sir. For you and all your friends? Yes, sir. And do you think it'll still be there this fine festive morn? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're wrong, because I bought it yesterday. Well, it is Christmas. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do get your paws on the special packs of Andrex toilet tissue. They offer free children's seats for Disney's 101 Dalmatians. Just one nine-roll pack, for instance, gets you one free child seat. Well, you know how many you need. It depends on the size of your litter. At Tesco, we've selected a range of Christmas products which we believe offer unbeatable value. So if you find the same quality product cheaper locally, we'll refund twice the difference. Unbeatable value at Tesco. Guaranteed. He challenged the superstitions of a fearful realm. They believe the ocean is uncrossable. The land is there. Why should I believe in you, Senor Columbus? I will not give up. And put his faith in the discovery of a new world. Spain will become an empire. Do you consider yourself the chosen one? In time, they will talk about the courage of the first man who crossed this ocean. 1492, Boxing Day at 9 on 4. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. It's Christmas time where we let in light and we banish shade. That was Live Aid. This is Games Master, the Christmas quiz. We don't. We don't find out after the ad break. That's a real shame. Is that we just get done, well, you know, by giving us a little Live Aid performance, but don't tease us with a rabbit question and not pay off on it. As we go into round three... Oh, I feel like Magnus Magnuson. Yep, just like the show popularised by the old Icelandic cheeky monkey, each contestant is going to get 45 seconds on their specialist subject. And going by the clocks, Luke, this is a shoot 45 seconds. This is an actual 45 seconds with no real editing taking place. I timed each one. Really? I timed each one because I thought, I'm just curious to know what the timings were. Um, I'll say it now. Derek had 47 seconds. Kirk had 30 seconds, Dave had 32, and Rick had 29. Now, 
did they just cut out silences, do you think? Or did they actually give them less time? I don't know, because it's a straight shot. feels very unedited. Dave's one feels like it's cut off because he doesn't have the I've started so I'll finish. His just feels cut off at one point, which I feel is just like, I think, you know, just trimmed down for time purposes. Well, you know what? We talked about wanting to look silly, not wanting to look silly. I just look silly because apparently I have no concept of the passage of time. But there we go. The only reason I went to go and check is it felt like days were shorter. As it turns out, he actually had the second longest. Although Derek has way the longest. gets 47 seconds to get his. Note to self, Derek has the longest. <laughs> and answer questions. As you know, I think will come as a surprise to no one. Namco beat-em-ups, 1990 to 1996. Gee, I wonder if he'll do well here. Spoilers, he does very well here. Only gets one wrong, which is... A question that I think is a little bit unfair of which character sports a series of tattoos. I'm fairly certain there are multiple characters in Tekken with tattoos. Yeah, I would have said so. He says Paul, which actually is definitely not the right answer, but Bruce Irvin is the character. Yeah, I think that Paul answer is a panic answer. Went blank and it was the first name that came into his head because definitely not the right answer. I actually like how he corrected Dominic at one point to get a point. Again, Tekken 2, at the end of a one-player game, who's the final opponent a player faces? Kazuma. Uh, the devil. Tekken devil 2 includes... Okay, I'll accept that. It is a bit of a cheat answer on Derek's part, because technically it's the same boss twice, so realistically he should have set specified devil. I think he was lucky to get away with that one. I would have probably been a harsher quiz master on that one. I'd have been like, nope, you fucked it. Next question. Derek took his specialist subject very, very seriously. So what's Kirk's specialist subject? And your specialist subject is video game subjects related to the letter P. I laughed so hard at this. So did I, because this is a bit of fun. And this first is an absolute nonsense question of... Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peckers. Why? Because he's an Correct. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peckers because he's an ass. Didn't you mean Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers? Well, I thought that as well, but I'm pretty sure Dominic says peckers. Of course he would, diamondism. But yes, the response of because he's an ass and Dominic just loudly going, correct. I've written in my notes here, he gets a point for that. And you can now see why Dave is annoyed about this quiz. Be even more annoyed about the next one, because one, it's a Mario 64 question. Two, he bloody gets it wrong. What flightless black and white arctic fowl, which gives its name to a famous chocolate bar, an enemy of Batman and a brand of paperbacks, does Mario have to return to his parents on the snow level of Mario 64? And here's a clue, it looks like this... Puffin. Correct. I know Dom gives him the answer. He's, you know, reads through, it's a penguin. He even puts a penguin up on the thing and Kirk, the big stoner, goes, Puffin. And Dom's like, correct. It's like, no, he's not. He's wrong. And we go down and we get the rest of the questions and he gets most of them right. He doesn't get which game featured the character Peter Perfect, which he said Pap, which, <laughs> again, made me laugh. Nope super knockout i think he gets a point for that as well but it's the last question which is one of those kind of word plays that i absolutely adore which is what does the b button do on fifa soccer on the mega drive and there's an awkward pause and he's like pass correct because you can pass in mastermind he even says you got four points and no passes which i think is a lovely bit of thing now this is again one of dave's smoking guns of why he was screwed out of this here because a kirk picked a joke thing b Dom gave him points when he got questions wrong. And C, even if you didn't know what the buttons were for FIFA, you can pretty much guess that it's pass. Not seeing 
that's the gag. It, it is a sense of humour failure on that particular one. I think so. But, but speaking of Mr. The Animal, he is up next. His subject is the life and times of the Street Fighter arcade game. And he gets all of these questions right, but he does struggle on a couple of them, which I guess is where that fear of having a book coming out on beat-em-ups came out, because I'm not going to lie, I got all of these right just the first time round. It's like, what happens when you finish Street Fighter 2 with Ken? What happens to Ken? And Dave genuinely has to think about this, and he's like, oh, but he gets the girl and goes off into the sunset, which is true, he does. He meets up with Liza and they get together. Spoilers for Street Fighter 6, apparently they're divorced. That took a turn. That's a bit sad. Merry Christmas. It's the EastEnders Christmas special all over again. But uh, when you beat an opponent without taking a hit, what message appears on the screen? Perfect. That's fine. The bonus stage on Street Fighter 2 involves players destroying a car. Which two characters can destroy it the fastest? Um, Eddie Honda. Yes. And um, Ken, if you use a dragon punch. Or Chun-Li with the uh, 100 kick. Yes, correct. Uh, point for that. Dave's entirely correct when he says Honda and Ken... But he does go double back and say Chunners, and my two would have been Honda and Chunners because they've got the repetitive moves and also the moves have multiple hit ranges. Blanca doesn't work because his crouching electric only does low hits, whereas the 100-hand slap or the kick, they hit at multiple attack points. But Ken's Dragon Punch is pretty damn good, particularly in the later iterants of Street Fighter 2. It, ha- it differentiates itself from Ryu's by kind of having a more of a horizontal travel so you again you get the low mid high hits it's a very very good answer from dave here and i you know fully respect him from that uh, who practiced the art of yoga dal sim four points passed on none there was no malarkey in this round for dave perry no. those questions were there to be taken the only malarkey is dom talking slowly at the start and that time begins now when you finish Street Fighter 2 with Ken. What happens to Ken? You sort of like trying to sort of waste time and stuff. But then he just got, just laughs and be like, that's a bit of fun, isn't it? And then he asked the question properly. That is about the, that is the only bit of malarkey in this little section here. There's much more malarkey in the last section, which is Rick Henderson and his specialist subject of football sims from 86 to 96. Yeah, because this is more or less about Kevin Tom and his beard and his perm and is his beard cack. <laughs> it's then about how many uh, club players there are in Sensible World of Soccer. And Rick goes, I don't know, 100,000? Nope, 25,000. I love the trio of Kevin Tom's questions because Kevin Tom's uh, founded Addictive Games, created the original football manager, but was the kind of person that not only put his name on the games, but also his face on the boxes. So if you go and look at pictures of football manager, it's got Kevin Tom's on there. And the only reason I wanted to bring him up in a bit more detail is at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of 2022, he launched a Kickstarter to fund a new version of his football manager game, Football New Manager. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird title, but it's to mark the 40th anniversary of the original game. It was funded and it's in active development. And I think he's even releasing beta versions to the people who funded it. And genuinely, when I saw on his Wikipedia page, and it didn't say successfully funded, it's just like he launched a Kickstarter campaign. And I'm like, right, let's find this because we've talked about Kickstarter campaigns in the past and they've not all gone well. I was happy as Larry to go and see not only was it successfully funded, but it's still actively in production. In fact, you know, it's still well within that window of this will be delivered in a timely fashion. So let's head on over to Games Master for our current scores. Dave holds the lead with eight points. 
but Rick and Derek now have seven points each, while Kirk continued to languish in the rear with a miserable five. Ooh, things are getting a bit closer. The, the scores on this are very much like Taskmaster in that usually there's a clear leader right at the beginning, but then things often get tighter by the midway point. The sign of a good quiz. You won that little bit of balance throughout. We've still got one more round of quiz to go, but first, it wouldn't be a Series 6 of Games Master without a feature, and this is a feature. Japan and Britain, two separate cultures, half a world apart, linked by one thing. Anoraks. Here in Japan, they call them otaku. The word refers to any hobby that borders on the obsessive, but this is Games Master after all, so there was one group of otaku I was contractually obliged to meet. Unfortunately, this meant getting up eye-baggingly early on a Sunday morning. It's midday on a Sunday in downtown Tokyo. Most of us would be asleep, but the video game otaku have assembled for a costume party where they dress up as their favourite video game's characters. I've decided to get into the spirit and I've come as everyone's favourite from Street Fighter 2, fat sumo bloke, Eddie Honda. Uh, so I did an episode of, um, I can't suppose you wouldn't call it an episode with you. I did a stream with Maff, uh, Mafu of Botchamania a couple of Christmases ago where we watched this episode. And because this is part of Mafu's Christmas watching is to watch the Games Master Christmas quiz episode. I'll be honest with you, it's not in my rotation, but to each their own. And it was actually this feature here that he was the most pausing of to try and work out what all of the cosplays in this were, because this is not a great feature, but I think it is an interesting feature with the benefit of hindsight, because this is about cosplay. This is about something that is massive in the West now, but in 1996 was not as mainstream uh, as, as it currently is. It was very much a Japanese thing. A Japanese curio. There were cosplayers. There were people who went to conventions in cosplay as far back as the 1970s. You know, the original Comic Con uh, photos from that have people in cosplay costume. It did exist, but not to this degree. I I would argue it also wasn't called cosplay. It was just called costume costume competitions. Yeah, you know? exactly. Dom kind of writes about this the the Japanese trips in the book. Uh, because obviously this is a, this actually this is our third one, isn't it? It's our third and final of the Japanese features. I think we get mm -hmm. in series six because we had the beach, and then we had the tour of the video game uh, company, and then we have this one. But it's uh, it's funny because he writes about this in the book that he did not enjoy this trip as much as he did the other trips. Part of that was he didn't go out with Johnny Finch, and he didn't go out with with Kirk or anything like that. But perhaps more sweetly, he'd fallen in love. He'd met the woman that would become his wife shortly before they did this trip. And rather than go out drinking after they would do, you know, a little tour of Japan or whatnot for the three days they were there, he instead went back to his hotel room and spent lots of money calling back home so he could call the woman that would become his wife. That's very sweet. However, it doesn't stop him being a right dirty old man throughout most of this feature. I was going to say, I have three notes on this whole feature. Number one, Dom obviously picks the girl in the bikini. Number two, the lad with the pants on his head is very funny and Dom's reaction to it is genuine laughter of he's wearing pants and he is just proper like, can't believe that I'm seeing this. I don't know if you can tell, but this guy's wearing a pair of pants on his head. <laughs> it's, got, it's a pair of pants. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Top one there. And number three, Jushin Thunder Liger's in this feature.
I'm glad it wasn't just me that saw that because I'm like, is that someone costuming as Jushin or is Jushin actually there? And knowing his taste, he probably was just actually there because he likes geeky things and he also likes scantily clad women. So he was probably well at home. I, I, I wrote in my notes, that is either someone who is dressed as Jushin Thunder Liger or it's actually Jushin Thunder Liger. And I think the latter is more likely. Having met Jushin Thunder Liger for at MediaCon a few years back with a wrestling show that we did, he's a wrestler, by the way, if you're not familiar. He does love nerdy shit. Also, when I we did our big song and dance thing at the end of MediaCon, at the end of our panel, he was the one that was most into all of the boy band stuff that we were doing. And he was up and he was dancing and he was having a great time. One of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had in my life was not doing that dance in front of thousands of people watching it on fight tv it was when i was going around the uh the building on a segway at the end of it to william regal's real man's man and jushin thunder liger was so excited to give me a high five while i was on the segway and as i approached this true legend of the business all i could think was do not lose control of this segway and run over jushin thunder liger do not be the man who ends Jushin Thunder Liger's career because you ran over him with a Segway in Manchester. And so I took my hand up and I gave him a high five, gave him a big smile, and I maintained control. But it is legit the scariest five seconds I've ever had in my life. That could have been your Mario Gate moment. That could have been the moment that, for better or for worse, cemented your legacy. You know, we had a lovely retirement match for Jushin Thunder Liger a few years later. I could have ended it right there. But as lovely as it is to see Jushin Thunder Liger and some really quite spectacular costumes that aren't just furry bikinis, I've got an issue. Because Dom does quietly define what an otaku is and any hobby that borders an non-obsessive. And he goes, but as this is Games Master, there's one group he was obliged to meet with, which meant getting up very early, i.e. midday on a Sunday, and it's to talk to people who have assembled for a party dressed as their favourite video game characters. Now, Luke, other than Dom dressing as Eddie Honda, I counted one video game character that was actually featured. The guy dressed as Ryu. Also Felicia from Darkstalkers, yeah. who is one of the bikini, the furry bikini clad ones. But the majority of the costumes we see, including Dom's Choice and including Hentai Carmen, the aforementioned man with pants on his head, they're not video games characters. Sure, they might have some feature in a video game, but they're anime and manga characters. It's been very simplified, and I know I'm nitpicking. I know I'm doing the pushing glasses up nose. But this is 1996. We had manga video. We knew what that shit was now. Well, that's the difference. Dom does not, and that's clearly within his voiceover, because he says they were mostly from obscure Japanese games I've never heard of. And as I've written in my notes here, or in 2022 terms, from obscure Japanese video games that people will pretend they know online in order to appear cool. Let me just Google that. <laughs> he has probably been told it's a video game thing, so we just assumed it's a video game thing. And maybe it was just a bit of misunderstanding. He thought it was all video games, but Nick, you're right. It is actually a broader spectrum of cosplay than just a video game thing. Leaving aside the element of, haha, look at the nerds, and leaving aside the fact that there are some very scantily clad women and men wandering around, this is actually quite wholesome. Like, the, the people there having fun and in their costumes, they are there having a good time being surrounded by like-minded people. 
It's also great to see some really, really high quality costumes in 1996. Like you think how crazy the costuming scene is now where, you know, you can 3D print a complete set of Iron Man armor with a device you can buy for like 300 quid. Okay, it will take you about five months and you'll die from toxic fumes from the resin long before it's finished, but you can still do it. However, in 1996, you had papier-mâché, fabric, and probably like foam board maybe and stuff like that but we see some huge bloody costumes that look really cool it's it's wicked to see and as you say, like 1996 is the key to this this is 1996 and i think for a lot of people this would have been the first time they'd have seen something like this now i think it's a wonderfully wholesome feature when i was out in japan we went to tokyo disney sea and because we were there for our anniversary which means we were there around halloween it's the one time of the year where disney will allow you to go into a theme park in costume you're not allowed to do it any other time at Disney because they don't want kids to get confused of who an actual mascot is. Like if you go dressed as Donald Duck, they're gonna kids are gonna run up to you and want pictures and stuff. They want official mascots to actually be mm. able to do that sort of stuff, which I think is completely fair enough. But around Halloween, you can go there in costume. Boy howdy, some of the people who went there went all out on their costumes that they wore to Disney World. I would argue probably hindered them some way in actually doing some of the rides. Anyway, one of my first notes in this, as soon as Dominic said that because of his massive celebrity status, he's been made a judge. And I'm like, okay, I wrote down, he's gonna choose someone in a skimpy costume. And would you Adam and Eve it, Luke? He picks someone in a skimpy costume. Lum, specifically. But then, you know, gave her a bag with his washing in it. Oh, the 90s, Luke. Oh, the 90s. But we did get to see a bunch of Japanese people going, look at the tall, pale Scottish man. Look at him. Look at him. Back to the quiz. Our final round of works thus. 90 seconds of general video games questions. At the end of this round, we will lose the two co-commentators with the two lowest scores at the moment. These scores are so close, anybody could still get through, even Kirk. So it's our final round. Don't shoot too soon. It's 90 seconds of general questions. Now, Dom says here that these scores are so close, even Kirk can get through. And he gives Kirk a big look. Listen, even Kirk can get through. And I wrote my notes here. Well, you can see why Dave thinks this was all a setup. Meanwhile, Kirk is looking around going, which one's Kirk? Because <laughs> that is the, the line here. Uh, Dominic Diamond writes in the book, it wasn't a setup. I can tell you for a fact that if you want to set something up, you don't involve Kirk. He's so unreliable, he will fuck it up. But we start the questions and the setup does feel like it's there from the beginning because first question, what's the catchphrase of the game character Earthworm Jim, which Kirk is working on a game based on? That would be groovy. How did Jim come to have such superpowers? Kirk again. But it's only the first two questions, because then it's, what game does this soundtrack come from? And Dave is straight in there with, oh, Donkey Kong Country. Absolutely correct. It is, yeah. It goes back to Kirk, who gets a Yoshi question right, and Grand Prix 2. Dave Perry gets uh, the Genesis, and Rick Rick pops up. You don't know much from Derek in this, but Rick pops up and gets the final question right about the Super Famicom. The Earthworm Jim stuff is Dave Perry's other big smoking gun of the episode. I think in the final round, two questions on Earthworm Jim came up straight away, which was the game he was working on at the time. He even had the T-shirt on for the, for the production company. So it was obvious to me that I was being set up. Because as you pointed out there, 
Kirk was working on Earthworm Jim 3D at the time. And Dave says, you know, not only was Kirk Dom's best mate and they wanted him to get through and to win here and to face me in the final because no one else would have been able to beat me, they gave him Earthworm Jim-based questions so that he could get points. Now, Dom in the book argues that he was actually hoping someone else would get the Earthworm Jim questions correct because it would have given him ammunition to make fun of Kirk for not getting them correct. But this is one of like Dave and the various interviews I watched, he brings this up a lot, being like, don't you think it's funny? Don't you think it's a bit weird? Don't you think it's a bit of a coincidence that the first two questions are about Earthworm Jim? And there's a man over there who's working on the next Earthworm Jim game. Arguably, yes. But it was two questions. And Kirk also got two other questions right that were nothing to do with Earthworm Jim. And I am shocked, and I can only assume because it's an import name, but I'm shocked that it was Rick that got the Super Nintendo in Japan question right. I'm also shocked that Dave got the what is the Mega Drive called in America question right, because Dave doesn't do imports, infamously. I think from Dave's perspective, and obviously I'm not going to speak for Dave, I'm only inferring. If you believe that this is all a setup, you are going to look for those things. That points to it being a setup. And I really do feel that he looks at those two Earthworm Jim questions as like, aha, I gotcha. You did this to set this up at the end, but who really knows? Joking aside, I can see why Dave would think that. Exactly. I can also see why Dom would go, actually, these questions were here because I was hoping Kirk would get them wrong or not get them and someone else would, because then that gives a much more entertaining line for Dom to just turn to Kirk and go, aren't you working on an Earthworm Jim game? Much like the Killer Instinct character earlier, where when they got it wrong, it was just like, you know, biggest game of the year, last Christmas may have heard of it exactly like you know dom points out there that everyone on this panel was up for a laugh with the exception of dave he even says like if if rick had won they'd have just had games master disqualify him because he's got a crap tash and he says and rick would have just accepted that because everyone was there for that thing but dave's here for a very different reason dave wants this to be taken seriously and dave has said in in interviews it was a podcast i was watching with him on and he talks at great length about this should have been taken seriously. And, and I've seen it said since that, um, oh, I was the only one taking it seriously and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. It's fucking Games Master. It's the best video games TV show on telly. This is a Christmas quiz between the games experts. We should be putting on a fucking show here, not pissing around. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was serious. And it was serious because it was my reputation on the line. And, and, and um, all I wanted was a fair crack. It's fucking Games Master. We're fucking game specialists. We should take this seriously. And it's actively annoying that they weren't. I will stand by the argument that Games Master was successful. One, because it was about video games, which were a hot topic at the time. And, you know, they were only going to get bigger and bigger from the point Games Master started onwards. But also the humour and the irreverence and all of the other ingredients made it accessible. There's a reason why Series 3 failed. And I'll be honest, and it wasn't Dex, and it wasn't Dave. It was, there was almost too much gaming. Like, it was exhausting. So tiring. It was so weird going from Series 3 to Series 4 for this podcast because I almost felt like we were missing stuff because I'm like, my notes are way shorter now. What's going on? And then I look back at the notes from Series 1 and Series 2, and I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is normal. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's the end of that round. Let's head on over to Games Master for the final scores. 
There are winners and there are losers. And at the end of that round, I'm afraid Rick and Eric fall into that latter category with seven and eight points respectively. Dave continues to hold the lead with ten points. But miraculously, Kirk has managed to earn himself a place in the final with nine points in total. So there are winners and there are losers. But at the end of the fourth round, Rick and Derek have lost. Kirk and Dave are in the final with nine points and ten points respectively. Yeah, miraculously, Kirk did make it to the final there. Dave has said in, in all the interviews I watched that he won every single round. But actually, no, it's not true because he didn't win the second round because he didn't get any points there. He didn't win the third round and he didn't win this round either, Dave Perry. Um, but he did get the most points. But whilst we hoof Rick and Derek off to the Christmas party early, let's find out what the final challenge is. As if we don't f***ing know, because it's the whole reason we're here. And why this goddamn episode has been hanging over us like some sort of retro gaming sword of Damocles for the past two fucking years. God damn it, can we just get to the fucking end already? What are we playing, Games Master? It is Christmas, and what a better way to finish than having a final playoff between the two leaders on the first snow level of Mario 64. The two co-commentators must race to the bottom of the perilous ice slide in the fastest time possible, while trying desperately not to skid off to oblivion. Good luck. Yeah, it is. Race down Cool Cool Mountain in the quickest time possible. Don't skid off because you will fall into oblivion. We see more of this level in the intro to the challenge than we do in the challenge itself. So, how did we get here? in terms of it being Super Mario 64. Because, as they say in the book, it was supposed to be Wipeout 2097. And apparently there was even a Psygnosis built level for Games Master to use on this. Dave, in a 2002 interview, says that they didn't use Wipeout because he was, quote, shit hot at it. And they picked Mario 64 instead because Kirk had been playing it for months researching 3D environments for Earthworm Jim 3D. That's Dave's other big thing. Kirk has been practicing on this game and he's been playing it for months because he's actually been using it as research for this other game that he's been working on. The only thing I can't find is why Wipeout wasn't used. Everyone says, Dave just says, we didn't use it. And Kirk just says, we didn't use it. And Dom's like, and we just didn't use it. We just did Mario 64 instead. I'll be honest, Mario 64 feels like the more obvious thing anyway. It's going to be the biggest game of next year. It's actually the biggest game of 96. It's the game that everyone's excited for. Also, it's a snow-based level. It feels apropos for a, a Christmas special. I'll be honest, Wipeout 2097 would have felt like a weird choice because we've had a challenge on that. Danny John Jules, who loves video games. Oh, wait, no, we discovered we were very wrong with that one. He's never played them before. He quite liked Wipeout because the steering column made it feel like he was in Starbug, which shows that dude goes full method. He goes into his mind palace and is flying a green ship around outer space. But Mario 64 just makes sense. And could it have been done to fuck with Dave? Absolutely. I would not discredit it because Dom was pissed off with Dave. Yeah, Dom was, at this point, kind of thrilled that it had worked out this way, that it is Kirk versus Dave on a game that Kirk is going to be much better at than Dave is. So the question then becomes is, why didn't Dave play Mario 64, which was the biggest game at the time, and it was going to be the, the biggest thing? His argument is, 
Uh, this is from a Eurogame article that was written in 2014. Uh, so Ellie Gibson writes, Two months previously, Perry says, he had written an article for Computer Trade Weekly magazine about the Nintendo 64. The console wasn't out until the following year. Perry felt the pre-release hype was ruining Christmas for the industry. People were holding out for the new machine rather than buying products on the shelves. He declared that he wouldn't be playing the N64 until it was officially released in the UK. Dave Perry is quoted, So everyone knew I had not played this console or its games. Because he says when he sits down, that is the first time he's held an N64 controller in his hands. And he doesn't even know what he's about. Because it's not, it's not the easiest controller to be handed to and just instantly understand. Rick, uh, who was also interviewed by Retro Game Revival, actually the following week, uh, so it was in January of this year, made the argument that... Is it because we had an awful lot of hours between getting there and when we finally started rolling the cameras? Kirk had a lot of time playing Mario 64. A lot. He had a lot of practice. Now, Kirk, now, the one thing I will say is that Dave always complained that because Kirk was play, uh, was uh, researching at the time for Earthworm Jim 3D, an awful game. Shame <laughs> on you. <laughs> um, <laughs> he had played a lot of the game anyway. But I played a lot of Mario 64. I didn't work on Earthworm 3D. You know, I, in fact, at that time, I was a journalist just like Dave. I was working on PC Review at the time. And... Um, and uh, Derek had played it, even though he only worked in arcades. So it wasn't like nobody had played it. And if Dave had been there, he would have got ample enough time to have practised, I think, before the show. But he didn't want to damage his reputation. Exactly, because he has gone on record saying, I am not going to play this game until it is released in the UK next year. But, and this is where it gets kind of contentious, because we are then looking at, uh, and what a number of people say versus what another person says. If he was willing, allegedly, to ask for answers to questions, if he was willing, allegedly, to try and fix the quiz, why is that worth more than not spending a couple of hours before the the show playing Mario 64? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because Dave... Uh, has said in an interview that when he arrived to the set that day, and he was there with his girlfriend, it's the first time he'd ever taken his girlfriend to something, according to him. When I got there, I found um, Kirk, who's Dominic's best friend, showing everybody how to play the Mario slide, um, which instantly said to me, this is not a neutral game, because one, mm. one, con one contestant can play it and the others can't. And that was like, he just thought that was a bit weird. And then obviously it comes up later, he starts putting two and two together. But he did say like, you know, when they break for production on this, you know, before they go into the final challenge and get everything set up, he went over to Johnny Finch and he said, you promised me we would play a neutral game. Dave just wanted it to be fair. He wanted it to be fair for everyone. He wanted fair questions for everybody on the, on the panel. And a neutral game, that would be the final. And when he found out it was Mario 64, he went up to Johnny Finch and said, this is not a neutral game. And Johnny said, well, this is the game we're playing and that's the situation you're in. So Dave threatened to walk and he said, I'm not doing it. When the final came along, I went to the producer, the, the producer and I said, right, you've promised me a neutral game in the final. What are we going to play? Because Kirk's got to the final and it's not a neutral game. We've had this discussion. Uh, 
and he just went into a complete meltdown. He said, oh, we're running over the cameramen. Um, I've got on extra time, the light men, extra time, we can't do it. You know, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I'm not doing the finals. Well, if you walk out now, you can't use the company car to get home or whatever. So I was stuck. And I had my girlfriend with me. Um, and I was just totally ganged up. So I, I, on. So I just went, fuck it, okay, I'll do it. Maybe, maybe I'll win. I've won, I've won before. I'm baffled on that one, but also about the concept of Wipeout 2097 being a neutral game, given he, by his own words, was bit hot at it exactly yeah if you if we were to play each other at a neutral game luke we would either need to pick a game we are both equally good at or a game neither of us have played before arguably mario 64 not a neutral game also arguably wipeout 2097 by dave's own words not a neutral game because he's claiming he's bit hot at it exactly yeah there's a lot of like just things going around in various different places. Dave's story has not changed. I think a lot of it has remained the same, but little bits and pieces have sort of changed across the time. And so it all bows down to this final dramatic confrontation. Uh, with me in the commentary box for this Christmas special is Gazemaster presenter, Mr. Dominic Diamond. Welcome, Dominic. Thank you very much, Dominic. Now, Dominic, at this point, you usually ask the co-commentator an amusing question to start off. Well, I don't think there's any need for that tonight, is there? No, you are quite correct, Dominic. Let's move on. To the game, what tips have you got? Well, remember, it's a very tricky track here, Dominic. What I would do, I'd make sure you finish it because some of these turns are very tight indeed. Okay, thank you very much, Dominic. But we've got Dom doing colour commentary with himself. Okay, amidst all the awkwardness of this, Dominic Diamond commentating with Dominic Diamond is actually probably my favourite bit of the episode. Just the fact that he completely plays it straight of like, you know, joining me for the commentary on this is Dominic Diamond. Oh, hello, Dominic. How are you doing, Dominic? And it's just, it's, hopping backwards and forwards and a weirdly light moment given that especially with what we get from the book and what we get from all the various interviews kirk clearly knows what he's doing on this game he gets pretty far down the track but does lose his way and he falls off after 20 seconds and actually looks a little bit gutted that he went off now dom writes in the book that he was furious at Kurt for not doing well here because he wanted Kirk to win. And the reason he wanted Kirk to win is because he didn't want Dave to win the episode because cheaters should never prosper. And here's Kirk. He had one job and he absolutely bollocksed it. And here is where the setup of the challenge kind of causes the chain of events because if they'd both made it to the bottom, it would have been the fastest time. However, in the event that both of them fall off, it will just be who lasted the longest. And so Dave gets underway and he seems to stall or to try and stall to try and make Mario move as slow as possible. If he's never played this before, how does he know how to slow Mario down? Because it does not show you that if you pull back, it will slow down, that if you jump, it will slow down. So in Dave's words, his claim is... As soon as I sat down, I had a controller put in my hand. I didn't know what the controls did. Um, the Nintendo 64 wasn't out until next February, so I hadn't played on it. Um, the company I worked for, THQ, we weren't producing for the Nintendo 64, developing for it, so we didn't have the console you know, on, on import. So I'd never played it before. So I'm sat there, three, two, one, go. I've never played the game. I've never played on the console. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so if you watch at the top at the start of that challenge, my yeah. character's jumping all over the place. 
And yep. I think Dominic has said, oh, I was, I was biding time. I was being clever. I was pushing buttons, trying to, to work out what jumped and if there was a break or, 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 some, or some kind of thing on, on there to stop me going down. Then I went down the slide and fell off, which I think anyone would do first, go on a, on, on a game with inertia on a new machine, you know? Because one of the big prevailing theories about this is that he's trying to go for the shortcut. And I don't think he, it looks like he's nearing that point, but I don't think that's what he is going for. Dave's argument is, I was trying to work out how to play the game. Dom says on commentary, he's stalling for time. Some might say it's a smart play. Some might say it's just cowardly. But he, according to him, is just trying to figure the game out. I don't know. I obviously can hear Dave's side of things. I've got the words in front of me of Dom's, which involve a fair few bleeps. And okay, the initial bit, the bit where he's just running around before you actually start on the slide, that I can see is him trying to work out the controls. The first few seconds on the ice, I can see maybe him trying to work out the controls. But also, if he does work out the controls at that point and he works out how to slow Mario down, he then starts doing it very, very deliberately. Because the reason he careens off the side is because Mario is slow to a stalling point, at which point the game will just go, nope, tip you off the side. Best of luck then, Dave. 20.65 seconds is the time to remain on the course. Your time begins now. And off Dave goes. Okay, he's down the slippery slope there. We're just coming up to the uh, first turn here. Again, now it is a tactic there, Dave. Some might say cowardly, some might say clever. He is literally staying on his bottom and trying to last long as he can. But I don't think it's one. He tried to play conservative. A good tactic, but he lasts for 13.35 seconds. That means Kavguing is the winner. You know, I don't know whether that is him trying to slow himself down or just working out what the brake button is and pressing jump pressing jump too many times and you're right stalls himself so much that he just slides off he lasts 13 seconds and it's all over and that goes to the simpsons point you made earlier watch this lease you can actually pinpoint the second when his heart rips in half and now because he then just looks down the barrel of the lens with a look of okay you got me the crazy thing is is if he had just focused on the mechanics that he would know by instinct, which is you move the stick right to go right, left to go left, this button is jump. He would have probably lasted longer. Probably. Now, Dave has said uh, on his own Games Animal YouTube channel, I did have to go and rewatch the episode for some of this research. Didn't watch the full thing, thankfully, because it is, it's certainly something. Choice number two, okay? This fucker. All right? Anybody who knows me knows my relationship with this game, Mario 64. I fucking hate it. Um, I've been trolled for 20 years um, because of a TV show I went on, uh, which I still to this day believe was fixed. You need to watch the whole show, not just the sulk at the end. But I did throw a hissy fit at the end out of sheer anger and frustration because I knew I'd been set up to fail on that show um, just so people could watch me lose because... They couldn't beat me fairly. Um, uh, Anyway, from that moment on, I vowed never to play this game again. Okay, 20 or so years later, here I am with it in my hand. Um, I have a number of people in my gaming circle who are big, big fans of this game and can't believe that I won't play it. So, choice number two is the game's animal for the first time in 22 years will return to Mario 64 and... I will attempt the slide that I fell off 
on the Games Animal Christmas special, okay? Uh, and he did say that he was going to do it on his Games Animal channel, but he never actually ended up doing much with it. He did, however, get asked about it by Damien McFerrin, friend of the podcast, for time extension back in 2018. And he said, I can't say that I hate or love the game. I just have no desire to play it. Dumpy little plumber with a cheesy Italian accent running around and jumping on boxes is not my bag. I hate that kind of game. Yes, the 3D environments were pretty groundbreaking at the time, but the basic gameplay itself was nothing new. It was a good flagship release for a new console at the time, but that's as much credit as I will ever give it. I know it's popular for me to roast the Nintendo 64 versus the SNES, but I would argue that there is more new gameplay in Mario 64 than there had been actually in any of the previous Mario games because it was in three dimensions. In fact, the gameplay mechanics of the classic Marios did not work in Mario 64 because you couldn't do those speed runs, the bumps and the kind of like the all the tricks with the Cooper shells because you had to deal with a 360 degree field of view. I can understand him just going, I don't want to play it because it's a painful memory. But I don't know, that would be truthful, maybe. And maybe that's what he's trying to avoid because a lot of this comes down to the value of the game's animal brand by his own words in places as well. Which brings us to the post-match interview. I'm not going to play a clip of what Kirk says because honestly, he doesn't say anything really of much. He just says he did bad in the quiz and even did worse on the race. But here is what Dave Perry had to say. Now, honour you, Dave. Um, Now, you have, as you said, on the show, you are the greatest games player in Britain. What happened? What went wrong? Well, I think I've been set up fairly badly here today. Right. And in particular, what reason? I think having a final game where one player owns the game in the machine and one player doesn't isn't in the interests of fair play. Uh-huh. OK, then. So uh, what you're saying, Dave, is the biggest game of this year. You haven't played much. It's not released till next year. I'll play right. it next year when it's released in this okay, country. OK, you are a journalist. We can get it on import. Not a journalist. I'm a marketing manager. Right. OK, then. And you don't have a book coming out about, you know, games or anything like that? About, no? about beat-em-ups. About beat-em-up games. So we're not seeing sour grapes at all here, Dave, is what you're trying to say. No, we're not. We're seeing somebody just saying he's been set up. I think at this point, Games Master fans, fans of this podcast, through us playing it a lot, probably know that back and forth between Dominic and Dave, like the back of their hand. Most people listening were probably quoting it along with them. I think people could write it down. I think people could write a play about this or perform it as a two-hander because everyone knows this basically word for word. You're right. When it comes down to this moment being referenced, when it's used in clip shows, when it's talked about, this is the moment that gets replayed. This is back and to the left, back and to the left. Dave says in the book, I had two options. The first was I smile and I be a good boy and quietly leave the stage. Nobody would have ever talked about it again. The second option, knowing I'd been lied to and bullied for years, was that I didn't let them get away with it. I think with the benefit of hindsight, they did get away with it. Because, I mean, no one comes out of this episode looking great. Really, no one does particularly with all the aftermath and everything and everything that we, we now know about it. But at the end of the day, the only person on camera that looks bad here is Dave Perry. Every time I watch it, I hope something different is going to happen. Like even in my most recent watch of this episode, not the challenge itself, the post-match interview Every time I watch it, I'm hoping for something different to happen. And you can hear the anger in Dom's voice, like particularly on the 
on the closeout. Like, there's a quote in the book that says, the idiots won. And yeah, they did. And I don't mean that to be mean. I mean, they were all idiots. But in a good way. I mean, as Dom said, don't take yourself too seriously. Although, woe betide you if you fuck with the integrity of the show. But there is still that anger and that, that, that kind of like that coldness to his voice. But he awards the golden joystick to Kirk. The new game's animal. Ooh, there's some rage in the voice there. Isn't it just? And like the separation of everyone. Dave even points this out in, in the book. They are just on opposite sides. It is Dave on one side of the screen on his own. And Dom and Kirk and Derek and Rick and the mermaids on the other. Dave's like already walking off set at, at various different points in this. And he's just separated away. Like it is a perfect visual representation of what has happened to this crew over the last couple of series. And that final shot is of all of them laughing and waving. There's kind of a dip smooch on one of the mers or like kind of a swooned thing. And even though it's still a very uncomfortable scene, a lot of them are having a good time and having a laugh. And there is Dave on his own on the right-hand side of the stage. And it is very, very sad. Okay, then. And on that bombshell, let's award the goal against Master Joystick 2, the new Games Animal, Mr. Kirk Ewing. Okay, so from um, me and the mermaids and Rick and Derek and uh, what's your name again? Kirk and uh, even Dave. I would like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. And I'd like to leave you with this question. Why do we only get one Christmas but five Nolan sisters? <laughs> Merry Christmas! I mean, that's the episode, which kind of brings us into the aftermath of the Dave Perry incident. And the bit that really jumped out to me from the book, because this bit's new, everything else has been sort of like variations of the stories you've already heard. Like Dave even says in one interview that I read that it's, just, it's folklore at this point. But this bit is new. And I, I will read this bit because I think it's important. This is from Kirk Ewing. The camera stopped rolling. It was deathly silent. Dave walks to the end of the church, walks out the door, and as the door is closing, Dominic shouts, Yeah, see you, Dave. You made yourself look like a right f***ing cunt there, didn't you? Which echoed across the church. And silence fell as the door shut, followed by laughter. The idiots had won this round. But there wasn't much gloating about it afterwards. It was clear that we, that Dominic, had crossed a line, and that we all went out to a party that night which Dave didn't come to. He'd obviously had enough at that point, and right too, you know. You don't want to be called fucking horrible names on the way out the door. It's not nice. There's a lot in this book about the change of the show, the evolution of the show. Uh, Dominic says that by series six, the show was a very different beast, but it was a comedy show. The number one rule was do not take anything too seriously. And none of the others did apart from Day, who by his own words, again, quoted multiple places, not just in the book, but in various interviews. You know, he was like, it was a game show. People were there for the video games. It was serious stuff. No one else seemed to think so. I mean, good grief, the moment they went to hell and then to heaven and then to Atlantis. Yeah, they were just trappings. They were just sets. They were just ways to have a bit of a gag. But that was the point. They were ways to have a bit of a joke, a bit of a gag. Even in series three, we had Raja, the cat, for a couple of New York minutes. Dave has been, over the past six series, an occasionally polarizing figure. In our retrospective, we have had good times and we have had bad times. The bad times, where he has said things 
particularly about female gamers and their inability to play games, I still condemn. And I think it was a terrible thing to say. I have spoken to people, to people our age, that heard those comments and it made them not want to play games because there was a person on television on the biggest show about games on TV saying, girls can't play games. In this story, anyone else would have come out looking like the victim. And it is, I think, partly because of what Dave had done leading up to this. And I think the way that Dave has conducted himself post this incident as well. But really, like when I read the way that Dave describes what happened on this day and after what Dominic shouted at him when he left, and I really cannot help but feel sorry for him because I've been bullies. I have, and I've been the butt of jokes. I've been in therapy over this. I'm very bad at it right now. I know what it means, and it fucking sucks. And I really do feel for Dave in this moment. I've thought a lot, because we're kind of reaching the wrap-up point here. And after that, I think we're pretty much done with talking about this incident. We will really have no cause to talk about this incident again. We will still see Dave Perry. There's a couple of episodes coming up, including one that I'm very much looking forward to talking about. In the bigger picture of Games Master, was Dave Perry at times the villain? Was he in the wrong? Yes, I think he was. That's just my opinion. If anyone wants to take exception with that, they're absolutely fine. I think some of his comments did damage to young and impressionable people. In fact, no, I don't think. I know. Mm -hmm. But regardless of the reasoning, Dave was bullied on set. He didn't deserve that. No one deserves to be bullied on set. And so with that being said, I think that in the moment of episode nine, there are only villains. That, that was my big takeaway from this as well, is that everyone's the baddie here. If we look at the immediate lead up to episode nine, it wasn't him being bullied on set that caused Dave to want to cheat. It was, allegedly, the fact he had a book coming out. It was the value of the Games Animal brand in his mind. And whilst the feud between Dom and Dave had been kind of bubbling away and the amnosity had been growing, would it have escalated to this point if he hadn't allegedly done that? I don't think it would have. I don't think it would have done either. Dom says in the book, and you know, this is something we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to the end of this, for Dominic Diamond, this was it. This was the very last thing he was ever going to do Games Master related because the show had been cancelled. This is literally the very last thing they're going to shoot for Games Master. And for Dave to allegedly do what he did and try and mess with the show and coerce Johnny Finch, Dominic was already in, under a lot of stress for this being the very last thing they shoot for Games Master. And that was just compounded it. The Super Mario 64 incident, the Dave Perry incident, it's not one thing. You kind of said it there. This was a multitude of things from a multitude of times and locations that manifested itself in one challenge and one post-match interview. It's the thing this show will always be remembered for, whether rightly or wrongly. And I think a lot of I think it's it's a bit of a shame that this is what people know the show of. When I said I was doing this podcast, even you know, sending friends about it, they were like, oh, when that lad with the bandana has a meltdown on set. This is the show's legacy, in a way, is this moment. A bit of a toxic environment that bubbles up and explodes in probably the worst way possible. Reading like, all of what both Dave and Dom say, 
in this book. And I'm not talking about the legacy quotes, but I'm talking about the stuff that was obtained fresh for the publication. I think they both have regrets. They both make the comment about things could have been sorted over a couple of beers. We could have worked this out, this, that, and the other. I really like what Dominic Diamond had to say, kind of summarizing a lot of this, where he says, I didn't like the guy Dave had become. Or maybe it's more fair to say that the guy I'd become didn't like the guy he had become. And that's on me. But somewhere along the line, he took himself too seriously. And that is the biggest mistake you could make on Games Master. In the 2014 Eurogamer interview that he did with uh, Ellie Gibson, he said, the way I treated Dave on screen is not something I'm particularly proud of. It was perilously close to bullying. As much as we felt Dave was being a dick with this whole games animal thing and thinking the wheel was square before he got his hands on it, I think we humiliated the guy. Yes, at the time he was a dick, but geez, no one was a bigger dick during the 90s than me. We were both dicks, but I was slightly funnier. And his whole argument is that Dave's biggest mistake, it was not the post-match interview. It was not the challenge. It was the lying about the setup in the years that followed that has made him look like the biggest chump in this situation. Dominic says in the book, to echo what you just quoted, he is the mistake master. Yeah, exactly. And in the times we've talked to Dominic, he's basically owned up to various bits of behaviour, you know, but he doesn't look back at his behaviour then when he was doing all his Twitch streams. You know, he talks about all the stupid things he's done over his career. And to the best of my knowledge, whilst there is some regret expressed in this book, Dave has not. Dave maintains that his way was the right way and that he was the one being wronged. I would say that some of the stuff that went on with Dave was definitely workplace bullying. You know, nothing to be proud of, even if the person's a dick. To be honest, what Dave did by going to Johnny Finch about the bullying is what should have happened the other direction. Should have taken it through HR. Yeah. Rick, in the, the, the Retro Game Revival interview, talks about how Dave has talked about how that this really affected his career. But Rick Henderson doesn't quite see it that way. Nobody thinks any less of him because of that episode. Apart no. from probably the people that were there that day. The, uh, you know... His his reputation didn't go down. I knew I I carried on chatting with Dave for many years later. He then came back as a commentator on my reboot of Games World, which I did for Sky every single day at seven thirty in the morning. Very often. <laughs> but, um, but he came back as co commentator for that after that incident. So you know, and and I was more than happy to bring him back. And not only that, is then when he was the chief, uh, editor-in-chief of a load of video games magazines at, down in Bournemouth, I used to go to his parties. I used to, you know, we, we remained friends. And there was, and not one person would ever go, oh, there's that Dave Perry, he can't handle Mario or <laughs> 64. It was always Dave Perry, the journalist, or Dave Perry, the games player, or Dave Perry, the games animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he shouldn't have worried. He, I think it got to him way more then perhaps it should have. Yeah. And he overreacted. Dave has had a bit of a chip on his shoulder, perhaps rightly so for this. Uh, in an interview uh, with Retro Games Master in 2017, he said, following the Mario 64 debacle on Games Master, I had also gone to work with Hewland on Series 4 of Games World, but quickly became hugely disillusioned with how terrible the show had become. 
wasn't helped by the fact that some of the people that have been involved in making what I saw as the demise of Games Master were now working on that show. And I only wanted to highlight that quote because in that Eurogamer 2014 article, he says, I was gutted because I really cared about Games Master. I think this is a crucial line here. I saw it as my baby, and then it turned around and bit me on the ass. I think what we have here is something I'm actually very glad that we don't have. We don't really have competing egos, which I'm immensely thankful for. It's why we're friends, and it's why we, why we work. If we do have a disagreement on something, which, you know, we have different approaches to certain things, but we just talk about it, and one of us will go, yeah, okay, and that's that. I think the first note I sent to you, or certainly said out loud to myself at least, after I'd read this section in the book, was, this is sad. It is sad, isn't it? Really is sad. And like you said to me it's sad, and I just replied back to you being like, what a shit show. Like, in the most sad way possible, what a shit show. And what better way to kind of sum it all up than Jane Hewland's final line of the chapter and of the Dave Perry situation. Boys will be boys, what can I say? It's almost the perfect ending to this because it is both the best and worst way to describe what happens. Because it is the best way. There was, in most cases, boys being boys. But in the worst case scenario, it was boys being boys. And awful nasty boys at that. Dominic Zyman has said that he hates what he did. He said that, I made some disgusting comments about Dave did an interview with Edge magazine and said the most reprehensible things, unforgivable, nasty things, which he never deserved. And I hate the fact I did that. I think you're right. You made the point earlier. I think Dom has a, a lot of regrets over what happened here. I'd like to think because of the book, this will be the end of it for both of them, for everyone involved. But I don't think it will be. I think if this book was just a Kickstarter, it might be. But the fact it's gone to mass market means that there are some people that are probably going to comment on this stuff thinking it's the first time anyone has made these jokes about being a marketing manager about that. And hey, hey, guess what? Holding up hands. We've done it. We've done it. We did it on this episode. But also we we are, I mean, one, we're not doing it, you know, under every comment he makes about his tattoo business and, you know, what he's got going on there. And we are also making jokes at the expense of, of Dominic, at the expense of a lot of other people that were on the show and said and did some really stupid things. And I hope that it does fade away, or at the very least, it can just be the end point. Certainly, I think amidst his recollections, his quite frank recollections in this, Dominic expresses a lot of regret. Uh, Kirk expresses regret. Johnny expresses regret. Almost everyone does. And I think that is going to do it for this episode, the episode of Under Consultation. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to talk with us in real time, if you want to chat with us, with other fans of Games Master, of retro gaming, of retro pop culture, you can do so over on our Discord. I'm sure there is going to be a healthy level of discourse about this episode. Super looking forward to going through the Discord and seeing the chat. But anyway, you can also support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, this show format, and about other shows from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and our monthly community show, Under Console Nation. 
And if you back us at the £5 level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. At the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? They get our Patreon supporter pack, which has a golden joystick waggler mug stuffed with sweeties, trading cards, badges, stickers, all sorts of goodies that wings its way direct from us to you. Although, I will say, if you are listening to this in the month of October and into November, Royal Mail strikes may impact that. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Tom, the amazing Cliff, super sexy David Fisher, Simon, Sean, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty Boo, Link, Kevin, Ian Williams, Ian Roberts, I am Cheadle, Harriet Mangagill, Gordon Debster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, Chrissy Two Sticks, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew, Adam, Paul and Andy. Now, obviously, we did the side quest to get to this point. We did the extra episodes. We had some fun looking at the magazine. We did the Independence Day UK episode. And the main reason for that was wanting this book that's in front of me now. Now, this book arrived today at time of recording. And it's actually quite an emotional moment for me, especially because we didn't just kickstart this book. Uh, We didn't just assist with this book. We are thanked in the end notes, which I very much appreciate from Jack. We are actually in this book. And for me, at least, this is the first time my name has appeared next to my words in print in anything meaningful. And that's not to discredit, because I know we had some interviews on Nintendo Life, but this is a hardback book. These are my words now in print forever. It's it's kind of wild. It's I mean, I, I don't want to make this a, a about us or anything like that, because this is about the hard work that Jack did and the great work that he did on the book. And it is a, an incredible book. But man, when you and I had that conversation in a pub a number of years ago, deciding to do this, I never would have thought, A, we'd be going to a taping of Series 8 of Games Master, but B, you and I would be in the oral history about Games Master, approached by the people doing this book to be like, would you like to be in this book? I remember, you know, Jack asking us, and it was great. And I was like, oh man, that's really cool. But actually seeing it, I was kind of lost for words a little bit. Again, this is not to make it about us. This is actually just me saying how thankful I am. Yeah. Not only to the listeners, because without you guys, we probably wouldn't be doing this. You know, we might have lost interest. We might have got bored and gone on to other things. But also to all the people that haven't just given us their time, but asked us for our time it's one thing for us to be putting our thoughts out into the void in the hope that someone listens it's another thing entirely to have someone say to you but what do you think about this but what can you tell us about this or what are your memories of this it's a hell of a boost for the ego i'll tell you that it certainly is so yeah thank you to jack uh thank you to rom thank you to actually everyone yeah thank you to all of you for listening and on that bombshell We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.